Want to stream cognitive dissonance to your Android or iPhone? Buy the app. Go to dissonancepod.com and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page. Each purchase helps support the show. Have you always wanted to win the lottery? Do you suffer from chronic poverty syndrome? Do you have real problems that are too much work to actually work on? Would you rather pretend to help than actually help? Prayer might be right for you. Please note, some side effects for prayer may not be reported. Always consult your pastor, shaman, imam, rabbi, or witch doctor, or holy book specialist for medical advice. Side effects may include gullibility, loss of funds, magical thinking, subjugation of women, brainwashing of children, loss of libido, inability to converse without the good word, and crippling diarrhea. Stop taking prayer immediately if you experience any of the following. Evolution, existential anxiety, books, uncontrollable laughter during services, or cognitive dissonance. advise that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. This is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode, we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome mat. For this episode, we have Greta Christina from freethoughtblogs.com slash Greta Christina, and also the author of Why Are You Atheists So Angry? I think we can probably find some reasons why atheists are so angry, hence the existence of this show. <laughs> Greta, thanks for being on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. A very quick correction. Uh, the URL for the blog is freethoughtblogs.com slash Greta. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and, it's, and, and, and if anybody's just wanted to Google it, it's called Greta Christina's blog. I, I definitely missed the class in writing school that said how to title your blog cleverly. And for for those, I actually was doing that exact thing, looking for the blog. <laughs> and uh, if you mistype Greta and type Great Christina's book, you will actually get corrected by Google for Great Christian Books. <laughs> so it's a little bit of Google irony if you uh, typo that. So. Definitely. So, Greta, the story I want to talk about with you is uh, from the New York Times. This is from... Uh, uh, the Africa column. I love that they have an Africa column or division. The whole continent gets one heading. Islamists in North Mali stone couple to death. Islamists, Islamists in control of a town in northern Mali um, evidently buried a couple up to their necks um, and then repeatedly struck them with stones until they were dead. And their crime was premarital sex. Now, Greta, the title of your book, again, as I mentioned, is Why Are You Atheists So Angry? It strikes me that this 
might be one of those reasons. This is definitely one of those reasons. If if this story had happened before I had written the book, it definitely would have made it into the list of things that things that make me angry about religion. I mean, angry isn't even a strong enough word about this story. I read this story and it just made me just sick and sad and absolutely furious. It's it's the idea that that anybody would be able to commit such a barbaric act, you know, ever in human history, but especially in the year 2012, that people would be buried up to their necks and then stoned to death. I mean, it's just appalling for this supposed crime of having out of wedlock sex and having out of wedlock children, which first of all, the couple said they didn't even do. And second, who cares? The idea that having sex out of wedlock, having consensual sex and consensual children out of wedlock would be punishable not just by death but by such a barbaric form of death. It's just really utterly repugnant to me. And the thing that really struck me about this story um, uh, when I read it uh, in the Times was that – the, the the people who committed this act specifically said they did it because God wanted them to do it. They specifically said it was the law of Sharia that prescribed it, that God willed it. Um, and this is the the point that I make in my book, Why Are You Atheists So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless. There's a point I make in that book, which is, you know, people do horrible things for all kinds of reasons. Right. Religion is not the only thing that inspires people to do terrible things terrible things. You know, it's unfair to make that accusation. But religion seems to be uniquely capable of inspiring really appalling acts that people would otherwise just shrink from. And the reason for that is that there's no reality check. You know, the, the whole idea of what religion is, pretty much by definition, religion is a belief in the invisible, in, in belief in the unknowable, in, in audible voices, you know, beings that we can't see or touch or know exist, beings that we have no, you know, we have no way to tell if they even exist, much less to make a difference, you know, to, to settle any kind of disagreements we have among religious believers about, you know, what God wants and what God is and what kinds of God, laws God is supposedly setting out for us. You know, there's no way to tell. There's no reality check. And so when people believe something as appalling and as utterly morally repugnant as God wants us to bury people up to their necks in the ground, throw rocks at their heads until they die because they had sex without being married, there's no reality check to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe this isn't correct. Maybe God wants us to do something else. Maybe God wants us to be nice to each other. Maybe God doesn't care what kind of sex we're having or with whom, as long as it's consensual. Um, Reality check, there's no way to tell what God really wants and what God doesn't want. And so if you have a belief in, say, a political ideology, for instance, you know, political ideology is a good example of a kind of belief that inspires people to do really bad things. People do bad things based on political ideology. But ultimately, there's this reality check. If you have a belief in, that, say, in, say Soviet-style communism, and you think if we organize our country according to Soviet-style communism, you know, within 50 years, everybody's going to be eating strawberries and cream, and we'll all live in this egalitarian utopia. If that doesn't happen, eventually people notice, because you're making a promise about this life. Yeah. You're making a promise yeah. about this world. And if the ideology that you're 
reporting doesn't pan out, people will notice. But because religion is this belief in the invisible and the unknowable and is in the afterlife after you're dead and nobody can tell you about it. Um, you know, nobody has any way of knowing what's really happening supposedly in heaven or hell because there's no reality check. Uh, people will just commit these atrocities and they'll com continue to commit atrocities with any kind of, you know, with any kind of break on it. Well, the, the, the one thing you talk about in your book, you talk about, uh, you have this, this section where you talk about the moderates. And you say, uh, you know, the moderates lots of times prioritize, prioritize wishful thinking over reality. But in this case, uh, the moderates sort of stood by while they murdered these people. So in a way, they're, they're not just uh, prioritizing wishful thinking. They're actually prioritizing a more horrible reality over the current reality. And that's, and that's one of my – the big complaints that I have about religion is people will often say, oh, when you criticize religion, you know, I have this long list, the 99 things that piss off the God list, this long list of things about religion that make me angry. And moderate or progressive believers will often say, oh, but that's those – you're criticizing the extreme version of religion. You're criticizing the really you – know, the, the hardcore, the fundamentalists, you know, the violent extremists. And, well, first of all, it's not like that kind of religion is unusual. You know, extremist religion is all over the world, and yeah. it's, you know, very prevalent totally. in, a, in a lot of the country, including in the United States. Um, <laughs> but it's also the case that even if – even in the case of progressive or moderate religious believers, they're still endorsing the idea, the basic idea of faith. They're still endorsing this basic idea that it's okay to believe things that you have no reason to think are true, that it's okay to just say, I believe in God and I believe that whatever, whatever I think God is telling me, I'm going to believe is true. I'm going to reject any kind of reality check that there might be in the world around me on my beliefs. I'm going to prioritize my beliefs over reality, over any evidence. And all too often, progressive and moderate believers will stand by when the extremist version of religion is playing out in the world because to them the idea of faith is more important and the idea of defending this idea of faith is more important than you know critiquing or opposing the ways that it so often plays out and i would also say that moderate and progressive religion it lends credibility to the idea of faith yeah. it lends credibility to the idea that you can make your decisions about the world based on, you know, whatever messages you think you're getting from God and that you can reject evidence, that you can reject reason. And that idea is a bad one. That core, the core idea of faith is what does harm. And sometimes it does extreme horrible, hideous harm, as it, it did in this story that, that we're talking about. And sometimes it does more moderate harm, such as undercutting education, uh, you know, convincing people to pursue faith healing instead of, you know, actual medicine, you know, that sort of thing. But it still does harm. The idea that you can base your life on what you imagine your imaginary friend in the sky is telling you without any reality check on it, and that, that you should prioritize faith over evidence, that is a fundamentally bad idea. Well, you know, it, since this came out, since the story uh, was released, the government of Mali has come out and said, hey, you know, <laughs> we don't endorse that. That shit's barbaric. I mean, they've, they've come out and been pretty strongly worded um, about this this incident I, it's too it's too graphic and horrifying to justly call an incident right i mean it makes it 
trivial in some way. But um, it strikes me immediately when I when I read that. It's like, well, great, two people are still dead, and you're not in control. So you're you've allowed this culture, this culture of religiosity, which is I think what you were talking about just a moment ago. This uh, deference toward faith to have a foothold in your communities, to have uh, power and sway within communities in your country. So great, you've come out after the fact and you've said, well, <laughs> that was barbaric. But they're still already dead and you're not in control. You're clearly, you know, any, any pretense toward uh, civil authority at that point has been surrendered to this religious authority and religious deference toward that authority. I mean, I will say right off the bat, I'm not an expert in foreign policy. I'm not an expert in international relations, and I'm certainly very far from an expert on what's happening in this region and the politics of this region. And I think it's entirely possible that the government in, you know, the government of Mali is very much opposed. I'm very glad that they've come out as fervent, as strongly as they have in all these acts. And I don't know enough about the politics of the region to, to be able to, to comment on them. You know, I, I feel like I need to, to lay that out. Uh, what I will say is that if they have allowed, you know, an, is essentially an Islamic theocracy, an Islamic shadow government or, you know, parallel government to theirs to flourish without opposition, then, then, then yes, I mean, basically, you know, this is these are like this is the consequences and you know again i keep coming back to this idea that when you have what is essentially a theocracy whether it's an official theocracy such as the type that you have in countries like iran or saudi arabia or whether it's an unofficial theocracy in the kind that we have apparently in mali and in other countries and in south carolina you know and in carolina, exactly where okay the law says they're not supposed to do this but they the the people the religious organizations have so much social power and they have, you know, they have, you know, they have, they sort of essentially become a government, even if they're not officially a government, that, um, that again, when you have, you know, government, quote unquote, whether it's official or unofficial, by religion, you know, again, there's, there's, once again, there's no reality check. You know, who's to say whether what God really wants, who's to say what God's ruling on, you know, this particular crime or this particular situation is. And so what you have is religious leaders who claim to speak for God and they get this kind of false authority because people think, oh, well, they're speaking for God. And if you believe in God and if you believe fervently enough in God, God's authority takes precedence over the law. God's authority takes precedence over any democratically elected government. Uh, God's, prior, uh, God's authority takes precedence over the Constitution. Uh, God's authority takes precedence over everything. And, and therefore, anybody who's claiming to speak for God gets this mantle of authority that's entirely unearned and that's very difficult to bring down. So if you've tuned in just to hear uh, Greta speak, which I fucking do not blame you at all just to tune in to hear her, uh, but uh, but we're going to actually have her on at the end of the show. Um, we're going to have a few news items and some bullshit and some joking around between now and then uh, with just Tom and I. But later on in the show, we're going to invite her back. We're going to talk about her book, Why Are You Atheists So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless and about her blog. Uh, but you're just going to have to sort of deal with us until then. 
So Cecil, this story is from MSN News. Indonesian police arrest 62 Tiger Woods and Steven Seagal impersonators over Ramadan (laughs) bar attack. (laughs) 62 people, most of them minors, attacked a bar in Jakarta for serving alcohol. Cecil, they attacked it. Carrying swords and golf and clubs. And sickles, it says. Wait, I, part of me wonders, like, if they thought it was actually a zombie apocalypse. Like, instead. <laughs> because these are the weapons of the zombie apocalypse. Samurai swords, sickles, and golf clubs. Like, if you if you were stuck in a, in a vendor and all they sold were samurai swords, sickles, and golf clubs, you would be fine for the entire zombie apocalypse. You wouldn't have to worry one moment of the zombie apocalypse. So I think that's probably what they thought was going on. You would have to worry about the, the, the purveyor of those items, though. I mean, if you're stuck in that store during the zombie apocalypse, at some point you have to look at the proprietor. And say, wait a minute, you made a living before the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> Selling swords and golf clubs and sickles? Yeah, they knew that Islamists were going to be around the corner knocking down bars, evidently. Take that. Ramadan, I gotta, <clears throat> I'm just throwing this out there. Ramadan sucks. Yeah, it does. Ramadan super sucks. I, I actually, you know, I read this and the very first thing that pops to mind is, who just has swords? Who just, I can understand the golf clubs. Golf club, yeah. You're angry. You grab the first fucking stick implement. I can understand sickles. You know, maybe you got a little field or garden or whatever. You know, you grab a sickle. That, that's but swords. You just <laughs> fucking. We gotta attack that bar. Why? They're serving alcohol. It's a bar. I know. Fuck it. It's Ramadan. They were there before. I know. But we still we gotta attack it. Why? Ramadan. I don't know what that. Get your swords. <laughs> that I understand. I'll be right, right back, sir. Yeah, I, uh, the thing that they say, they say that they're committing sins. They get drunk, so action must be taken. That's what they said. Uh, what, you know what? I wonder what the first thing I want to say is, mind your own fucking business, asshole. I guess that's the first thing I want to say. But then, you know, you got to wonder. You're like, okay, you believe in this fucking magic dude in the sky who has given us free will. I have the free will to drink during Ramadan. Now, God, your God, may fucking really have it in for me. When it comes time for me to fucking check out, he may be like, man, I am so pissed. I'm going to torture you forever and ever because you drank during Ramadan. Maybe he'll do that. But why do you have to inflict some fucking justice for your God in between? Like, can't you just fucking, can't you wait? Are you that impatient? Maybe God is like a bad middle manager. He's like, he's just delegating everything. You know, everything that comes across is destiny. Like, well, I got to give this to 62 youths armed with swords and golf clubs. <laughs> Where are my 62 youths? <laughs> I got to give it to my sales team. Right? <laughs> They're like going door to door selling perfume and fucking Avon. They were like yeah. armed with golf clubs just in case. Yeah. These no, are my yeah. just in case, case sure. golf clubs, you know. Yeah, because you could get really fucked up off that perfume. <laughs> <laughs> if you drink it. Ramadan really is a stupid fucking thing because there's a couple of other stories we got about Ramadan. We did. We got this one from Borneo Post Online, the largest English news site in Borneo. I'm suspecting your competition is not fierce. (laughs) 
11 Muslims have been nabbed by the Islamic Religious Department for not fasting. So basically, they were just eating a food. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm hungry because I'm made of biology. (laughs) I would like... I would like to metabolize something. I would like fucking ATP to be produced within my fucking, no, whatever, Ramadan. But I'm hungry. No, Ramadan. Arrested. I would be arrested every year. (laughs) No kidding, right? (laughs) I can't go four hours without a snack. What are you kidding me? I think they have to wait till sundown. You would think that their fucking God would have the common decency to move this shit to a fucking winter month. No kidding, When it's like sundown immediately. Right? Like in, in December, like where you're like, oh, the sun's up, and it's right back down. Great. Time to eat. Ah, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> the summertime, that's a fucking mean joke. Like, I can't even go like four hours. Like I said, I need my own fucking fingers after five hours. Are you kidding me? Like, I'd fucking start chewing on my calf just to get a little sustenance at a certain point during the day. What about if you're chewing gum? If you're just, I mean, you're not really eating at that point. I don't point. know. You just like this is like yeah, but chewing. the fucking just, like, you know the Jews they they can't go in a fucking elevator on some days. They can only go in the elevator if the fucking buttons automatically press themselves. Right, because you can't reach out. How do you get dressed as a Jew? <laughs> How do you button your pants on on the Sabbath? You just like I hope the clothes fall. Do you have to wear like a like a, like a Wallace and Gromit style contraption? You need like a back like, pole where you just slide down it and you're in your outfit. You know. Right. <laughs> It's like the, or you just get dressed the night before. Yeah, you must. Stink. Yeah, you sleep in your clothes. The thing is, is about the the same thing. I I suspect applies here. They probably have ways to get around it. Like they've they've somehow you know they they fucking outthought God. Ha ha. We got you, man. You know, like I think that there's some ways that they probably get around it. But it's, this seems just it just seems stupid. And the next one, we're talking about a guy drinking in public in the desert. Water. He wasn't drinking, like, whiskey. And not that it would matter, but he wasn't drinking. He was drinking water. Well, you need water. Like, we're mostly water. That's what we are. Like, how you feeling? Well, mostly water. That's how I'm fucking feeling. What are you fucking... I mean, you live in the desert, like you said. You just... This is just mean-spirited. What what do you do if you're, like, a construction worker working outside and it's 104 fucking degrees? Die. Yeah. You die. That's a great... Because yeah. you can't look at a certain point, your body's like, "Well, I'm shutting all that down. <laughs> Just all of it's going down." This one, this article comes from Bicca Yasmer. <laughs> Bic, this is independent news of the world, yeah, see? So don't make fun Bic, of Bicca Yasmer. Bic Yeah, I can't even Bic. pronounce it. But anyway, like, they, weren't they saying like this guy technically was just like he was an Asian drinking water? Right. Right, and and they they held him and they detained him until a- and they're going to detain him until after Ramadan. Well, you think maybe the guy was like visiting? What if he was there on vacation? <laughs> He's not even part of your religion. You're well, countries are just well, you're always part of. They like welcome. Oh. You are part of the religion now. Which is why I'll never visit a single fucking one of them. No shit. Don't put that in the travel brochure. By the way, you'll get fucking arrested if you drink water during the right. day. You know, it's like you travel to some countries. It's like oh. Don't drink the water. Oh, you mean like I, I should just drink bottled water, right? So I don't contract it. No, I mean <laughs> don't drink the water. Really? Like yeah. at all? No, not at all. Not till sundown. Well, I'm not a gremlin. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna, if it splashes uh, out, it'd be more me's don't pop out. 
I mean, I have the mask for that. But no. that's why they needed this. That's why they needed the sickles and the samurai swords to stop a horde of gremlins. So we're going to take a break and give you all the information that you need to find us on Facebook, to find us on Twitter, send us emails, leave us voicemails. Google Plus is also an option for you. I've been pretty okay somewhat about posting shit to Google Plus. You can check us out there as well. We'll return in just a few moments to ruin the rest of the show. Want to contact Cognitive Dissonance? Visit them on Facebook. You can find the link at the website dissonancepod.com or type it in the Facebook search bar. Be sure to follow the guys on Twitter. Their handle is at dissonance underscore pod. The guys also post to Google Plus now, too, so check them out there. And if you'd like to email them, you can do so at dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on the blog at their webpage or give them a call at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Long-distance rates apply. And to everyone who listens, shares, retweets, or rates the show... Cognitive Dissonance would like to cordially thank you for all of your fucking support. So, Cecil, this next story is from naturalnews.com. Real news powered by the people. Naturally. (laughs) Not actually powered by the people. No, no. Power to the people is what I say. So, first of all, I have to mention realnews.com is crazy. This website is fucking insane. Like, you look at this website... And if you're not immediately skeptical of everything that you read, everything, even oh, the fucking know. copyright at the bottom, you should be skeptical yeah. of, then you're just not a thinking person. Yeah, anybody that's selling colloidal silver or thyroid helper, um, you know what I mean? Like, there's something, there's certainly, and there's a picture of a fucking, a cross-section picture of a toilet on the side in the ad that says, discover the truth about your toilet, it could be <laughs> killing you. My toilet is killing me, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know what killed a lot of people? Not having yeah. toilets. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, I killed a couple toilets in my day. So this story is Colorado Batman shooting uh, shows obvious signs of being staged. This is by Mike Adams, the Health Ranger. Bullshit. Bullshit. This story is kind of crazy. The, the suggestion here, Cecil, is that the Colorado Batman shooting... Um, was was part of an elaborate government conspiracy to force uh, a conversation about gun control. There is so much conspiracy garbage, Tom, in this all fucking glued together that it almost doesn't – I mean it, it almost fucking turns into like a black hole of idiocy. <laughs> like it's almost fucking like voiping out of existence and sucking me into the computer. It's so fucking unbelievably stupid. But – you know, I mean, you can just work your way down this article. They start out the article talking about um, mind-altering neuroscience research. And the reason why I, I can say that so quickly is because it's very highly bolded on the yeah, page, right? right? So you know one of these websites when they've got a bold bunch of shit? You know that they're they're kind of they're, – they're already trying to fucking lean in with their point as we move forward. But one of the things they say is that he wasn't acting in his right mind. And that typically can only be accomplished through drugs, drugs, hypnosis, or trauma. Hypnosis? What did, what did they say? Like they fucking came up to and said, you're getting very sleepy. When I count to Bane, you will kill everyone. <laughs> like, what? What the fuck, man? Like, really, hypnosis is what caused it? You, you know what else causes people to act crazily? 
being crazy. Be yeah, being that, crazy like, helps. It, this this art like this just discounts the idea of of mental illness entirely. It's just like, well, <laughs> no, 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 no. It had to be that he was a totally normal, fully functioning dude who some third party actor just co-opted in some way, either through hypnosis, because that's really going to happen, or drugs. Like, like, can you imagine being given a drug where you're like, oh, man, I'm so fucking high, I'm totally going <laughs> to fucking put on this vest and go shoot up a Batman movie? Yeah, no kidding, right? Like, that's the first thing that comes to your head, not, I'm going to go get a bag of Cheetos. Right. <laughs> really? I'm going to make but, myself the biggest ice cream sundae <laughs> and watch Mythbusters for, and like, then, four hours. And then I'm... I'm going to fuck it. <laughs> you know, even worst case scenario, you're like, you know, I could go for somebody's face right now. Yeah. <laughs> Either it all leads back to munchies, right. you know? The, the, next, the next paragraph, though, they start talking about, well, how he's not consistent with being a crazy person, right? Because he calmly sort of gave up and he booby-trapped his house and then told people about it. It's like, that doesn't sound like, a, you know, somebody who was uh, – who's a typical crazy person. And you're like, well, in the fucking previous paragraph, you're fucking arguing that he was, like, given hypnosis and mind-altering drugs. And in this one, you're saying, well, he doesn't act like a normal crazy person. Yeah. I, you know, the fact that he's acting unpredictably is a way to say, mm, I don't know, that he might be fucking nuts. Remember that normal crazy person? <laughs> no? Yeah, that's because that's kind of the essence of mental illness is that there's and, – and that this sort of has that, that fundamental misunderstanding about mental illness, right? That if you're mentally ill, that, that you're not capable of performing complex actions. But we know for sure from history and from – you know, that's just not true. Like there's plenty of people who are severely mentally ill that, that engage in incredibly complex actions, you know, making bombs and, and, you know, dressing up as the Joker and shooting up a movie theater isn't inconsistent with insanity unless you don't understand insanity. Well, it's not inconsistent. The other thing, too, Tom, and this is this is getting into the next part of the article where he's talking about how he had these exotic gear and these bombs. It's not inconsistent with what normal people can get either because they say – um, if pictures from part from inside the apartment are fairly disturbing, the devices look to be sophisticated. Adding booby traps were, were something we've never seen. One rifle, two handguns, a knife, a bulletproof vest, a ballistic ballistic helmet, a gas device, a gas mask, military SWAT clothing, an unidentified uh, blah, 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 unidentified stuff. And they're saying that this guy was equipped with exotic gear by someone with connections and military equipment. Or someone with a connection that happens to fucking connect to the internet. Because right. I looked up each one of those fucking things, and they are available for sale for about 200 to $700 a piece, depending on your item. You know, certain items are more, but a gas mask I could buy for as little as $20 or as much as $300. A ballistic helmet I can get for 200 bucks to 700 bucks. A bulletproof vest I could probably pay about the same amount. For SWAT clothing, you're saying he needs a connection to get SWAT clothing? I can go to the fucking Army surplus store and get SWAT clothing. <laughs> are you fucking serious? SWAT clothing is just fucking black pajamas black with pockets. Clothing. You know, it's just like, what is that? Like the, I, yeah, the bulletproof vest is kind of a specialty item, but they're available. They're so available that people bought them and shipped them overseas to our own soldiers at the beginning of the Iraq conflict. I mean, people, right. families were buying body armor and shipping it overseas to our own soldiers. That shit's readily fucking available. Got news for you. The only thing you can't buy online are the guns themselves. And all the guns they listed are perfectly legal in the U.S., like it or lump it. 
There's nothing like a shotgun? Oh, okay. Well, that's not... It's not like the guy had a fucking Abrams, you know, attack vehicle. He didn't swoop in like, well, Jesus, that guy had an F-16. We didn't think that they sold those military fighter jets to the... He landed an Apache helicopter in the middle of him and just started shooting him. No, that's that's not the fucking case. He had a... a, And the thing is, he had a semi-automatic rifle. An AR-15 is what they've been saying that he had. Semi-automatic, that's fucking... I could go out and buy an AR-15 right now. Now, I gotta wait 48 hours to get it, but you know what? All I gotta do is plan my shooting spree two days in advance. (laughs) It's not that hard. The other thing, Tom, and this is the last thing I want to say about this article. Is this, it's kind of, well, maybe not the last thing because um, you had a point about the $20,000 we're going to talk about in a second. But one of the things they say is the FBI has a track record for staging similar assaults and then stopping them last minute. It says the FBI, of course, which has a long history of setting up and staging similar attacks and then stopping them right before they happen. See our four documented stories on these facts. One of the fucking whoops, fucking dropped the ball on that one. Sorry, we were at the fucking concession stand getting popcorn. <laughs> he was supposed to come in when Bane actually drove fucking his car in. We, a fucking asshole, came in a little early and he fucked half of the people up. We were going to stop it as it happened. Are you fucking serious? 17 people died. That's not a fucking stopping it before it happens. Maybe they called in sick. You know, maybe, maybe the guy's like, oh man, oh, I got a bad case of the stomach flu. Can somebody stop that mass murderer that we set up? That's crazy. Why would the FBI send, like, a fucking attack dog against innocent civilians only to stop it? That's just, that's the worst kind of paranoid, kooky bird nonsense. As soon as you hear that, it's like, wow, I have dismissed you. Yeah, well, and then the next part where they're saying, Tom, you talked about this before. We had a conversation about this. How does an unemployed, Tom, tell me how an unemployed medical student can afford $20,000 in weapons and gear? Credit cards. <laughs> America <laughs> debt. Like, we, I, when I was in college, people fucking shat credit cards at you. Like, everywhere you went, you go to, like, you go to take a piss, you grab, like, a fucking paper towel to dry your hands, credit cards fall out. <laughs> I, I remember I remember filling out a credit application when I was in college and saying like I was a drug dealer and a prostitute. Just, all I wanted was the free T-shirt. You remember that? Like they would they'd be on your oh, campus yeah, yeah, yeah. and they'd be giving away a free shirt. You just have to fill this application. I'd be like, my income is zero. I am a drug dealer and a <laughs> prostitute. Like three weeks later, you get the card in the mail. And it's got like a five thousand oh dollar limit. Gosh, you only need like four of those because the whole game, the whole credit card game, is to get. College students in debt while their earning potential is low, so they rack up a lot of debt, and then when they get jobs, they spend the rest of their fucking lives paying high interest. That's right. the game. So twenty thousand dollars isn't even that much money if not you're for a borrowing it. Yeah, not for a and for a med student, they're probably coming. They're probably fucking begging him to take the credit card at this point. Right. And the last thing, Tom. The last thing I want to talk about is. At the bottom, near the, I mean, near the bottom of this giant fucking wall of text, fucking time cube-like <laughs> article. Time cube. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> there's a part where it says, governments routinely murder millions. And there's a list here of, you know, a bunch of them. And they're like, 50 million dead, Mao Zedong, 12 million dead, Adolf Hitler, uh, 8 million dead, Leopold II of Belgium and Congo, blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on. And, you know, like, what What am I supposed to believe, you know? And coming in at number 14, it's 16 dead in a movie theater. <laughs> number 13, number 13, this is a long-distance dedication to Rwanda. Like, are you serious? Like, fucking, like, like the, they stopped the list at 800,000 dead. 
Yeah. We is it that is the next one down 16 people? Is the next one down after that 16? Cuz I think that there's probably a little bit more in that fucking gradient that we're missing. Right. It, you know, that's and it's such a it's such a, a liar's argument to be like, well, it's been done in the past, so that must mean it's true now. Like, oh, wow. And you have you're you're comparing events that aren't analogous and using a Events in the past to demonstrate why something is true now without evidence? That, was a, that is a fucking the most poorly reasoned piece. And the thing is, is like there's so many points in it. It's This is so typical of the online community, though, isn't it? Where they just – they'll just belch out fucking so much text at you that you just can't respond to it all because you just don't have the fucking energy to respond to it all. You're, they're, they're making points. They're, they're making, uh, they're trying to say that certain things are fact when they're not, they're making like sweeping broad generalizations at, that they just want you to accept as true. And then they're throwing in all these other arguments on top of it. So in order to really take it apart, you'd have to write half a fucking novel to take that apart. Cause it's, I'm not kidding. It's like fucking six pages worth of text. If you were to copy, copy paste and and that's not something anybody wants to do everybody's just like so exhausted when they look at it they're like oh gosh i can't there's no way i want to reason with you you're just such an idiot and other people that are idiots are going to glom onto that and be like well i think that stuff was a that colorado shooting Uh, i don't know about that one that seemed like a government job natural news really had a point pass me the colloidal silver (laughs) i want to be blue i'm turning blue right now (laughs) 100% organic blue. (laughs) Made with real Smurfs. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cecil, this story is from Raw Story. The Raw Story. Florida man kills door-to-door salesman. Quote, I'll kill anybody that steps on my property. Good luck doing that in jail when they step on your property. This story fucking sucks. A man in Cape Coral, Florida on Wednesday was arrested. Basically, his door-to-door salesman walks up to his house... The guy's not even home. Knocks on the door. Nobody answers. Guy turns around, starts walking on the driveway. Crazy nut drives into his driveway. What are you doing on my property? Oh, I'm here to sell you some fucking meat and seafood. Blam. Shoots him. Gets out of the truck and shoots him again in the head. Quote, for effect. This guy sounds he sounds kind of balanced. I, I mean, I, I think he probably stood his ground, Tom. He did, in so, fact, stand his ground. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's a problem with this. I think that this is, a, this is perfectly valid under Florida law, right? Somebody came on your property, you're allowed to shoot him in the face. Is that how that works? You know, there's a lot of uproar recently, especially in this Colorado shooting, where a ton of people that were pro-gun keep on saying the same thing, which is like, if there was an armed person in that situation, uh, this wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. Who in this situation, Tom, would you arm to stop it from happening? I don't think that there's an answer to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so either. I don't because who's gonna right. who really is honestly gonna? Let's say this fucking salesman had a, had a gun right in his on his person, and he comes walking down. Oh hey, what are you doing on my property? Oh, I'm just gonna sell you some seafood. Blam! What happens? He's still dead. Right. Still, it didn't stop him. He, you know, if he starts reaching for the gun, he's even he's even more dead because the other guy already had his gun out. The idea that guns somehow protect people from violence is a stupid notion. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But I think that it really does come forward in this story. Like, here's an example of a guy who has 12 fucking guns in his house. A guy who's perfectly capable of going to the store, buying a bunch of fucking guns, and being a complete fucking goober. 
You're just a fucking nut job who wants to kill people because they trespass. Yeah. This fucking guy doesn't deserve to have a firearm. But in this country, we don't give a fuck about that. Yeah, we don't care at all. You know, I mean, it's that these stand your ground. You know, this guy, I, I've seen several justifications, you know, where somebody said, well, how many no trespassing signs does the guy need to have on his property before people take him seriously? Shut the fuck up. And yeah, I, I'm still. No trespassing. Solicitation is not trespassing, first of all. Walking down somebody's driveway and soliciting is not trespassing. But even if you are trespassing, is that now a capital offense where the judge and jury is the property owner? Like, well, well, you know, that guy was, you know, that kid thought it would be funny to egg my house, so I shot him in the face. But I had a no trespassing sign, so I stood my ground. I felt threatened. Tom, think about it this way. It's illegal to booby trap your place, your your house, your your property in the United States. And the reason why it's illegal to do that is because it's fucking it's not a capital offense to fucking trespass. It's not a capital offense to even burglarize somebody's place. So the idea that you would have a fucking like a loaded shotgun on the window and your window open and they slide the window in and they lean their head and they fucking get it blown off. That's illegal to do. You're not allowed to do that in this country. And it's because you're not allowed to fucking just murder people fucking willy nilly. When did we become a society that thinks it's okay because you have a fucking sign on your lawn that you could shoot somebody? What if if I wore a shirt that said I'm going to shoot you, I'm allowed to shoot you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not like that's a fair warning, you know? It's not like you said, well, I gave him fair. I said, don't trespass here. Like, oh, well, I ignored that sign and I trespassed. That doesn't mean that the risk is... Murder? I mean, the risk is not murder. The risk is, you know, I'll have you arrested for trespassing. <laughs> That's the risk. Yeah. It's it, it's totally unreasonable. It's like, oh, yeah, I thought I could be a door-to-door salesman. Well, fucking went door-to-blam. Yeah. And we don't want... Fucking door-to-blam, exactly. <laughs> you don't want... And like you said, like, what would it have helped if the other guy was armed? I don't know. Is any community benefited by a shootout in the streets? I mean, what if what if they got what okay if they, corral? Right, right. I mean, we have an epidemic of violence here in Chicago. We're, we're both, you know, you you live in Chicago. I live outside of Chicago. Chicago has an absolute epidemic of violence that's been the subject of worldwide attention, and you know, people are killed collaterally all the time in gang violence. You know, just last week, a four-year-old kid was shot at the beach during a gang dispute because it's not a good idea. For people to just shoot at each other. Like, yeah. that's never a good idea. Well, I don't know. I don't know that uh, one of the uh, Supreme Court justices would agree with you. Uh, Cecil, you must be referring to this article from thinkprogress.org. <laughs> <laughs> Sc- Transition. Scalia suggests handheld rocket launchers are protected under the Second Amendment. Um, Scalia is nuts. <laughs> he basically <laughs> says anything you can hold in your arms. Like, if you could transport it with your arm muscles, then it is an arm. <laughs> you can shoot it and own it, and God bless America. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> I love this, right? Watchers. Like, I do not think in their wildest dreams the fucking founding fathers thought a weapon like a handheld rocket launcher, would ever be carried by civilians. I'm sorry, but my interpretation here is so different. And, you know, I'm not a constitutional scholar. You know, this guy, 
first off, doesn't he look like a little hobgoblin? Like when you look at him, you're just like, you look like a little hobgoblin, dude. He's like this hunched over little old man. And he's the kind of guy who, you know, while everybody else was getting girlfriends, like he cut a hole in his tort law book and fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, like that's sort of what you get when you, when you think about this guy. But really, I, I feel like, I feel like people like this, specifically people like this, where they talk about the founding fathers with this sort of reverence, where they talk about the founding documents with reverence. I, you know, I don't know that that's such a good plan to, to, to hold those founding documents in such reverence. I mean, we've changed a lot of things in this country. We've defined rights differently. We've defined voting differently. We've defined marriage differently. Now Um, we got a lot of shit wrong early on. And really, I think, we need more room to look at the Constitution and say, hey, you know what? We've evolved. We've evolved as a species. We were more technically advanced than they could have ever imagined at this point. We are more diverse than they could have ever imagined at this point. We've got to take a look at this, this, this document that we hold on high that we think can do no wrong and really examine it. Because when you start to hold things on high like that, you start to worship them. And when you start to worship them, then bad things happen. See the Bible. Yeah, no shit. I think that's a great point. You know, like you said, technology plays, I think, a, a key role in this. This idea that you can be a constitutional literalist, you know, and say, oh, well, it's about keeping and bearing arms. So as long as you can bear the arms, well, that's not really. The founding fathers had no idea that a rocket launcher could even be a thing. You know, what about a suitcase bomb? Like what? What about a suitcase? What about a suitcase nuke? You know, a dirty bomb. Yeah, you can bear that in your hands. I mean, if if we ban all suitcase bombs, only criminals will have suitcase bombs. So everybody <laughs> needs suitcase bombs. You know, I mean, like that's that's fucking that's a level of ratcheting up the insanity that just it, it beggars belief. It's utterly insane. You know, th- there was a time in in history in world history people carried swords around. You know, because it's swords and there's a certain element of, hey, if we're going to sword fight, maybe I die, maybe you die. Guns change the equation and then rocket launchers further change the equation. Yeah. Rocket launchers are a fucking they're an exponent. You know what I mean? Like they're not even fucking involved in the regular numbers that are involved in the equation. There's a, uh, an idea in this country, though, that that shit should be protected. And, you know, there's a there's a sort of an ideal in this country that we think about when, you know, when you think about gun control, uh, I personally own a gun, Tom. I know you own a gun. Uh, you own you own more guns than I do. You own, I, I own two. I think you own four or three. Um, the thing is, is like we use our guns for sporting. If the if they came by tomorrow and told me, hey, you know, there's no more guns in the United States, I would be OK with giving my gun back to the to the United States so that they could just take it and I would not have a gun. I wouldn't play shooting sports anymore, which is what we do with them. I wouldn't go out and do trap shooting. Um, I wouldn't go hunting with it. Uh, and I'd be okay with it. And I know you'd be okay with it too. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of people in this country that are level-headed enough to really think that they'd be okay with it. Um, the problem is, is that there's a lot of people, there's a lot more people in this country that would definitely not be okay with it, that would be the pry it out of my cold dead hands type people that you're never going to get their guns away. So we, we start off with this, with this, uh, sort of false dichotomy, sort of, we have this false notion in this country that we think when we start talking about gun control, what we're talking about is everybody's just going to give up their guns. 
That's never fucking going to happen here ever, period. So we need to fucking wash that out of the consciousness. That's not going to happen. What can happen and what should happen for gun control that is realistic is really what we should be talking about. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's reasonable restrictions, right? I mean, like, everything else is governed. You know, everything else we – and we allow certain governance of, of weapons, you know, like uh, by and large – Automatic weapons are forbidden to the to the populace, and and there are people who oppose that. There yeah. are people that that strikes me like it's. I can't even imagine having a conversation with somebody's like, well, you know, it would have come in handy last Wednesday to be able to fire off sixty rounds in two seconds, but because I had to squeeze the trigger and you know my finger got so tired after like twenty five yeah, no bullets right? were ejected. Yeah, you know, what the fuck? Are you serious? It's you know, there's a certain amount of reason that has to enter into the equation when you have the conversation you know you have to say well this is an inherently dangerous item and if people are going to own it there needs to be some thought and some consideration paid to the danger that that item poses to the individual who owns it and the families of those people and the people that those people in turn come in contact with but we're like you know we're afraid to have that conversation it's like you said it's like there's this false notion that it's an all-or-nothing argument, that it's a zero-sum game. It's it's like, well, you got to have every weapon imaginable. All the weapons, every fucking raptors should be available. <laughs> Battle, you know, aircraft carriers, battleships, who cares? If you got the money, buy it. You know, and then the other side is like, nobody should have spoons. They could be sharpened into a point. Yeah. You know, like, that's nonsense. And neither side is ever going to coalesce into in, into in, into ever happening so like you yeah. said just throw that shit out and the other thing too that i think we really need to have besides regulation of some sort and i mean regulation should be pretty tight i don't dislike the idea of regulation you got to go through a lot of tests to be able to drive a car in this country you've got to go through you know a lot of tests to be certified as a fucking somebody who is a uh, has a, a license to serve food in this country. You've got to go through a test. You've got to study for that test in order to drive around in a big truck with hazardous materials in it. You've got to have certification. You've got to go through a a, a, cons, a commercial driving license uh, test review with hazardous materials. There's work you have to do. All those things are dangerous. You can hurt other people with all those things, with a car, with by feeding them bad food, by spilling fucking acid on them, okay? You can hurt people that way. We regulate those things. Why don't we regulate guns? Where it's so easy to kill another human being with a gun, we don't regulate it at all. In our state, it's a fucking joke to get a gun. It really You is. sign a sheet that says, I'm not fucking smearing shit on myself currently. <laughs> like, I am, not, I am not fucking bonkers fucking crazy. That's what you have to say, and I'm not a felon. Right. And you could probably lie on it and still get a gun. The idea that that we're, you know, that regulation isn't involved is stupid, but you know, I think the other thing that we do in this country is there's a lot of times many people do gun crime and they get a slap on the wrist. I think like in other countries and in, in many other countries, gun crime is a serious fucking deal. And I think that while regulation needs to happen, I think uh, punishing people very, very severely for gun crime is something that really needs to happen too. And I don't know who would be opposed to that. Well, it, you know, the the problem is, and, and we touched on this earlier, but the, the problem is Scalia, right? The problem is that um, you, you, people have a constitutional right and they think that that constitutional right gives them 
not just a legal authority, because that's what the Constitution does. It gives you a legal authority, but it doesn't give you an ethical authority. And, you know, ethical authority can only come from a reasoned, well-thought-out position that's defensible for, you know, a society and for a person. But the Constitution gives you a legal authority. And people look at that and they say, it's my fucking right. It's my right to own a gun. So I'm going to get this gun. I'm going to shoot everybody I know because I got a right to it. You know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. And like you said, in Illinois, where we're at, um, if, you know, if you buy a gun used... You don't have to do anything. There's no right. waiting. It's only new guns that have any regulations at all. You buy one used. There's no waiting period. Yeah, no. There's a waiting period. You just don't. I mean, like, who's gonna tell you? The guy you're gonna go on Craigslist, meet a guy who's like, yeah, I'm. I don't even know if you buy a gun on Craigslist, but I'm saying like, if you like go on a forum, let's say, and the guy's like, yeah, I'm selling this gun, and you go to see him, he's supposed to tell you, I think, by law, that you're supposed to wait two days. But is he gonna wait two days? Be like, okay, come back and see me in two days. Right. You're here now. No, he's going to hand you the money because there's nobody to look over the shoulder. Exactly. There's nobody regulating that sale. And Illinois is the only state in this in the country that doesn't have concealed carry. Concealed carry in 49 other states. That's insane. People can yeah. walk around like it's the Wild West fucking Yosemite Samming that shit just because they want to. It's like, well, I have a gun. Really? What do you need it for? Nothing. Live in a civil society. Primarily safe. Most of the places yeah. that I go, oh, okay, but I think Crazy. I should have a gun. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, roll out a new segment that we're gonna try to do weekly. Although who knows if it's actually gonna happen weekly? We had enough fucking time this week to do one for you, so we did one. So here it is, our new segment. And now this week in Bronze Age Ethics. Line Cabsale, August 1st, 1708 BCE. Meet Cabsale's most eligible bachelor. Settle down, ladies, he's taken. Phineas, a 27-year-old tanner, sealed the deal last night when he raped 12-year-old little Lydia. The marriage took place last night as Lydia was walking home with a bag of seeds for her father's farm. Phineas took a liking to Lydia, and the rest is history. Now the two lovebirds are forever bonded in holy and beautiful matrimony. Because we all know the law, if a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver to her father. Then he must marry the young woman because he has violated her. And he will never be allowed to divorce her. Phineas has paid Lydia's father according to tradition, and the two are now on their honeymoon. Hey, you kids, get a room. This has been This Week in Bronze Age Ethics. So while that's fun and all, Tom, uh, we do have something that we do want to talk to talk about people on this break. We want to talk about our fundraiser, Apocalypse Without Borders. You know, Apocalypse Without Borders um, has so far raised five hundred and twenty dollars from our listeners, which I, I just I truly think that's that's completely incredible. We're recording this on a Wednesday. We released our show on Monday, right? Yeah, on Monday. That's crazy. And we're so incredibly grateful. The very first contribution was $100. That kind of generosity is just awesome. Doctors Without Borders is a really terrific cause, and we encourage you guys to go to our website and uh, contribute. And we'll be putting our money where our mouth is, and Cecil and I will be contributing as well. Yeah, we're going to be contributing that $100 uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then we're going to have that other $100 that we're also going to be contributing because you guys have well 
gone past the $200 mark. Uh, right now, a couple people are tied for uh, tied for first because they have uh, $100 donations. We'll, uh, as we get a little closer, we'll let you know who's tied for first um, so you guys can, uh, can fight it out, so to speak, with your donations. Maybe you might want to donate a second time to make sure that you're the person that gets a shirt. But right now, we have three people tied for the lead with $100 donations. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> So, Cecil, this story is also from thinkprogress.org. Uh, GOP Representative Steve King defends dog fighting. And the, the picture, I have to say, it's awful. It yeah. really is awful. The picture has um, Representative Steve King, and right next to it, this horribly maimed dog. Yeah. It's kind of not safe for life, almost. It's it's really not, but the it's such... I love that whoever put this article together was like... Well, let's compare these two. Yeah. Well, I like that on the on the caption underneath, they tell you who's on the left and who's on the I right. I know, in case you can't figure it out. <laughs> like in the <laughs> caption, it says left, Stephen King, on the right, dogfighting victim. I like that quite a bit. You could tell where they're going with this, right? Uh, but, you know, one of the things that they, they say here um, that the that the article says, and this is from that think product product uh, – from the Think Progress article I'm going to read here, it says, of course, there is very good reason to ban dogfighting and other similar forms of cruelty. Now, this guy, by the way, in this article, I guess I should go back a little. This guy had said that, well, you know, we have MMA fighting. What's the big deal? We, uh, you know, these people go out there and fight in a cage. Uh, what's the difference? Why can't we have dogfighting? Um, which really, uh, this this Think Progress article really just hammers him on. It says, it says, of course. Uh, there's very good reason we ban dogfighting and other similar, similar forms of cruelty. Animals don't have a choice in the matter. Manny Pacquiao chooses to step in the ring. Michael Vick's dogs did not. Similarly, when a human boxer loses a fight, he's not ritually executed after the fight. <laughs> the same is not always true in dogfighting, and that is absolutely true. I don't know if Tom, if you, I don't know if you remember, it was so long ago. But you and I talked about Michael Vick when he did this years ago, when we covered it on Everyone's a Critic, and. We were talking about how we fucking electrocuted dogs, how we picked them up and slammed them down until they died. Uh, this is a cruel form of uh, voyeurism, a cruel form of, of sadism that people put together to uh, for their own jollies. You know, they, they get off on this this dog fighting bullshit. It's not it is so not the same uh, as a. MMA fight, which is highly regulated, has doctors outside the the outside waiting to help the people that if they get an injury, it has a ref there to stop it so nobody gets too injured. I mean, in these other fights, these these dogs, they fight. I mean, if you look at the face on that dog, there wasn't a ref to stop that fight. No, no. Yeah, here's the other thing. When you fight it, like when humans fight, they aren't allowed to bite each other. Right? Yeah. Like, we recognize that there's something yeah. about using your teeth, which we're like, whoa, whoa. Now, that's just fucked up. Like, that yeah. just causes too much damage. Mike right. Tyson bit a dude's ear off, and it was like a big fucking deal. We don't allow that. Like, even if you were to draw the fucking false analogy, like, even if you were going to say, like, well, this is somehow equal to this, which is not, we already don't. Like, okay, I'll, you know what, Cecil, I will go this far. Dog fighting with no teeth? I don't have that big a problem with it. I think I just stand up and kind of 
nuzzle into each other. Yeah. <laughs> if they can't bite each other, fine. That's like, it'd be it, dog hugging, really. Right. It really wouldn't be a lot of going on there. Maybe dog humping Do- yeah, after exactly. a certain while. But think that, that's not even remotely analogous. What kind of a, And this is the same guy who just this week also said that Obama's parents could have telegrammed the birth announcement from Kenya. Yeah. The, this guy's still a birther. Oh, yeah. Who's yeah. taking this man seriously? Yeah, the problem is, is fucking government's taking him seriously. The people of Iowa are taking him seriously by electing him, Tom. Right. Like, that's the problem. You know, and, and really fucking, I think some people in this world, you know, need to understand what the fuck consent is. You know, we have this thing. We have this thing now where, you know, obviously where the fucking people in the church don't understand what consent is. Uh, people, you know, and this and this is another, I think, example of people not understanding what consent is. These people consent to fight. They're not and they're not going out there with fucking, you know, fighting with fucking gloves that look like Wolverine punching right. each other until they die. <laughs> oh, okay? they call that the stinger. You're not yeah, allowed to use, that anymore. use that anymore. <laughs> Exactly. It's like there's no su- – that, that, that shit doesn't happen. They're, the Comparing the two is so fucking out of bounds and stupid. You, you, you can't imagine that somebody would even put two and two together. It's like, it's like somebody can, comparing that and fucking uh, – you know, like the sumo – the guys who dress in those big sumo suits and bounce into each other. Like, <laughs> hey, we allow that. We should allow fucking crocodiles to fight in a ring. <laughs> We, by this guy's theory, like every animal should just be always fighting every animal. Yeah, because <laughs> he's not condemning the human fighting either. No. He's not saying like, no. well, you know, the human fighting is wrong, like dog fighting. Instead, he's saying like, hey, all fighting is cool with me. All fighting is awesome. I want to see fucking sharks fight fighting. gorillas. That's what I want to yeah. see. Sharks and gorillas go. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Story of the week comes from CNN.com. Dutchman builds replica Noah's Ark after flood dream. He should have gotten flood insurance after the flood dream. <laughs> Not that built a huge yeah. useless boat. Right, yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of empathize with this guy. You know what I mean? Like, because I've in the past had dreams about eating pizza, and then the next day I ordered a pizza. So I, I mean, I'm kind of with him on this. Like sometimes when you dream something, you're just like, man, that'd be awesome. And then you do it. So I think, you know, maybe not building an ark. I think probably getting flood insurance would be better. But still, you know, he, he just he's just following his dreams. I, I once had a dream that I was eating a cheeseburger and I woke myself up with the clacking of my teeth clicking together. <laughs> and I woke up so disappointed. I've never woken up feeling a sense of loss like that when I realized <laughs> – I didn't have, didn't the, have cheeseburger. the cheeseburger. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, you said earlier, you said it was a replica. And I'm going to read here from this article. It says, uh, Hubers and his team built the boat by welding together metal hulls of 25 barges into a single frame and then covered it with Scandinavian pine. Um, it would be a replica. It's like a replica. If the ancient people had access to welding gear and metal barges, then it would be an exact replica. No, that's, you know, this is just like Noah's Ark because this one has a theater. <laughs> and I remember Noah, no, Noah was a movie buff. A lot of people he, don't no, know that it was a, yeah, it's not it was true. Like, it's like a but, showboat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just a carnival like cruise liner that yeah, he covered exactly. with wood. That's yeah. all it is. Hey, everybody, I'm glad you chose Noah's Ark Lines. <laughs> and I would point out that this boat seats 1,500 people, whereas Noah's boat 
only sat one family. And it sat all the animals. <laughs> right. It did see. This one, look through the fucking pictures, and it looks very roomy for these animals. You see the, the panda bear behind the two flamingos, and there's a fucking camel back there. It's very roomy. It's a very spacious. It's like they have their own little little rooms here on the on the Noah cruise line. It, it it looks it looks good. I also I also am a, uh, he says that he wanted to sail his ark to London for the Olympics, uh, but he was forced to abandon his plan to sail across the North Sea after authorities raised safety issues, probably because arks aren't really good sailboats, <laughs> owing to their lack of a sail. Have you noticed the ark doesn't have a sail? How do you yeah. steer the ark? Hope. Yeah, right? Like, it, the thing is fucking 450 feet long and made of, like, metal and wood. We gonna hold your hand on a tiller? Here's the thing. No, Tom, you don't understand. You don't fucking get God's divine mysteries. Let me explain it's this true. to you. That's very so, true. The, here's the thing. <laughs> he flooded the entire earth. What do you have to steer around? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> All right, you got me there. But, you know, at no point was he broadside to a wave. Like, at hey, no now, point was let's, he... Now, look, I just fucking told you. I know. I know. I don't know. Anyway, the other thing, too, let's... I mean, let's talk about the Noah story for a second. The <laughs> fucking ridiculous Noah story. You know, the ark itself is really fucking silly. Like you say, there's no fucking sail on it. How the fuck do you steer it? What is it? Did you fucking convince all the fucking animals to row for you? Is that <laughs> how like that works? Yeah. <laughs> it's like heave oh, But, you know... Here's the thing. They're talking about fucking gopher wood, right? They're saying Noah's boat was made of gopher wood. And they can't figure out what the fuck that is today. I looked this up today. They're trying to figure out what that actually is. Because in the like gopher wood isn't a thing. Like that's not a real thing. So they have to figure out like what is it a mistranslation? Is it are they talking about something else? Are they talking about laminated wood? Because there's a way in which, you know, you could say that it, instead of uh, the like one of the letters, it's a different letter. So they're not sure what it even means. Is it just gopher boners? I think <laughs> that's the smallest arc. I don't know how you fit a lion on gopher boners. There's so I, many horny yeah. gophers. I'm just saying. <laughs> they all just lace their penises together and you just float on them. No, but like um, – but, you know, it, it's, it's, it seems like it fits the rest of the story, right? So, I mean, like, really, the one thing that you're worried about is the type of wood. Not that you fit all those fucking animals on it or that you weren't blindsided by a wave or that the world was able to fill up with water. Like, there's so many things in that story that are so unfucking believable that they fucking hurt your brain. But the one thing you're going to fucking nitpick about is the wood type. Right. You know, in this story, he says, too. He resolved to build the ark to inspire children with the biblical story of how Noah and the inhabitants of his ark survived the flood that, according to the Old Testament, washed the world clean of sin. That's a nice way to say drowned women and children and yeah. infants. Yes. Like, how is this? Okay, it didn't happen. So none of those people died. I get that. But if you believe it happened, how are you going to inspire children with that? So you mean that? That if everybody does bad, then I'll just drown in a flood for no reason? Well, not again, because there's rainbows. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, what? well, don't worry. God loves you. I mean, he loves you enough to fucking drown you. So The Holocaust is so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we're back uh, with Greta Christina. You can find her blog at uh, freethoughtblogs.com. She also is the author of the book, Why Are You Atheists So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless. Now, now um, Greta, uh, you, I, you know, I got to ask this question first, I think. You are part of the LGBT community. You are a feminist and you are an atheist. Which one of those three things have, has gotten you the most shit? <laughs> Um, that's a little bit of a hard question because the question has gotten me most shit from, um, certainly in the world at large, you know, as in the, you know, walking in the world at large, um, probably being an atheist is hardest. Uh, the, as, as a bisexual person, you know, bisexual activism in a very visible, very vocal, very activist form, it's been going on for decades now. It's been, you know, the very visible, you know, phase of the LGBT movement has been going on since 1969, ever since the Stonewall riots. And so we've had decades uh, to to educate people, to inform people, to get laws passed uh, protecting LGBT people, obviously not as much as we need to. There's still a lot of discrimination against LGBT, LGBT people in a lot of the country and a lot of the world. But we've had many decades uh, to, to educate people and to do this work. You know, the atheist movement has really only been very, very visible and very vocal and very active and very mobilized in the last few years. And people are just really not as familiar with us. And so I would say that when I go out into the world, when I go to, you know, when I travel, when I go, you know, travel around the country or whatever, um, I'm more reluctant to come out as an atheist than I am to come out as a queer person. Uh, Cause I feel, especially among younger people, I feel like, you know, people 30, 40 and under for the most part, they don't care that much whether I'm gay or whether I'm bisexual and they are going to be more likely to be upset by me being an atheist. Um, now within the atheist community, um, I obviously, if anybody's been following the assorted, you know, controversies and conflagrations have been going on with the, within the community. Uh, I get more pushback uh, for being a feminist than probably anything else. I, I think that that's, that's probably been the hardest thing uh, for me within the atheist and skeptical community is my feminism. Um, and the one thing I would say about that, though, even though that's very frustrating and even though, you know, I've gotten a lot of just – I've gotten a lot of stu- stupid pushback and I've also gotten a lot of really ugly, hostile, hateful even violent and threatening pushback uh, on the feminism. And, and that can be really hard. It can be very frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, and I know this sounds totally backwards, uh, but I find it very heartening. And here's the reason I find it heartening is when you look at the history of other social change movements, when you look at the history of such as the LGBT movement or the labor movement, uh, the uh, civil rights movement, the feminist movement, uh, what you see is a that these movements didn't deal with these issues of inclusivity and diversity issues such as you know sexism and racism and so on. They didn't deal with those issues early on, and so you know there's a, again to take the LGBT movement as an example. There was a lot of sexism and a lot of racism in the early days of the LGBT movement, and that has created problems for the movement ever since. Uh, it set bad habits into place that were really hard to break out of. Uh, it created a lot of resentment early on that's been very hard to undo. Uh, there's sort of this 
talking about race and sex in the LGBT movement is kind of this minefield that nobody wants to get into because it's, there's this whole decades of history about it that are really ugly and difficult. And so the fact that the atheist and skeptical movements are wrestling now in the fairly early, and obviously atheism and skepticism have been around for decades and centuries, but in the fairly early stage of it being a very vocal, very visible, very activist movement, the fact that we're dealing with gender and race now means that in 10 years and in 20 years, I think we'll have hashed a lot of these issues out. You know, I'm not optimistic enough to think that, you know, we're going to be perfectly sexist free and perfectly racist free, you know, in, in 10 yeah. 20 years. But I think that we're hashing a lot of the fact that we're hashing a lot of these issues out now means that we're going to be much healthier and much more diverse in 10 or 20 years. And so as frustrating as these conversations are in the movement, I'm actually very glad that we're having them. It's it's uh, interesting. I have a friend who's a. Uh who's a, a gay man. And he posted uh, on his Facebook recently, he said um, that when he came out as gay, people were mostly supportive to him. I mean, he didn't really remember anybody who wasn't supportive of him being gay. But when he came out as an atheist, he received some of the worst backlash that he's ever received in his life. And he feels like the reason why is because when he's gay, that doesn't really truly affect a ton of people unless you're, you know, homophobic or something. But when you're an atheist, you're almost just saying you're an atheist is attacking someone else's beliefs. Well, I think that there's some truth to that. I mean, so I think part of it, again, is just that LGBT people, like I was saying, have had decades to do, you know, education and teach people that we're not monsters and so on. When, and atheists are behind the curve on that. But I do think that Certainly, this is an experience that a lot of gay atheists share. It's not universal, but a lot of gay or lesbian or bisexual atheists say that it is harder to come out as atheist and to come out as gay. And when they come out as gay, they're largely supported. When they come out as atheist, they get a lot of hostility. And I do think that some of that is because, as this person you're talking about was saying, when you come out as gay, you're not telling straight people that they're wrong to be straight. Yeah. There is no way to come out as an atheist without at least implying that if you're a religious believer, you're wrong. You know, there's no way to say, I don't believe in God without having the message be, if you do believe in God, you're mistaken. And I do think that there is always going to be a little bit of tension between believers and non-believers in a way that isn't necessarily there between straight people and gay people, because you know, we are telling them that they're wrong. That's, yeah. there, there's kind of no two ways around this. And there, that doesn't mean that we can't work with them. It doesn't mean we can't be friends with them. It doesn't mean we can't be close family members with them. It doesn't mean we can't work in alliance with them. But there's, there is this fundamental disagreement about does God exist? Is there a supernatural world? And the fact is that when we come out as atheists, we are saying it's not just like coming out as gay where you're saying this is who I am. We're saying this is what we think. And if you disagree with it, we think you're wrong. Well, sure. There's an element of mutual exclusivity that's inherent in the theism versus atheism, you know, conversation where there's no necessarily there's not a, a an element of exclusivity or mutual exclusivity for straight, you know, versus, you know, LGBT, and especially considering the LGBT comprises, you know, bisexual, transgender and other, you know, other queer uh, identified uh, sexual orientations. So. You know, there, there's a spectrum for sexuality that seems like you can kind of see where people can reconcile themselves, whereas atheism is is uh, very clearly kind of a line that's being drawn. 
So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things in your book that I wanted to, to talk to you about a little bit was um, uh, you, you talk in your book about um, uh, religion as a hypothesis, you know, that it, it, it makes claims about the world and it makes predictions about how the world should work. If, if these things are true, then necessarily, these, you know, some other things follow from that. And it should be treated as any other hypothesis, you know, in the world of ideas, it should be a subject to open criticism. And, and it's clearly not. You know, it's it's clearly not. Um, would you would you care to talk about that idea for a little bit? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely one of the things that I find most frustrating in talking about religion, especially talking about religion with religious believers, but even some atheists kind of buy into this, which is this idea that religion should be treated with kid gloves, that religion should be a special case, and that it should be off limits from criticism, that it's rude, that it's intolerant, uh, that 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 it's even bigoted to say, I think your religion is mistaken, and to whether to say that generally, I think all religion is mistaken, or whether it's pointing out specific ways that this particular religion is mistaken. Here's why baptism is mistaken, and here's why Wicca is mistaken, and here's why Islam is mistaken, and here's why Judaism is mistaken, you know, you know, Judaism is mistaken. Um, that's considered in our society really rude. It's rude at best and really intolerant and bigoted at, at worst. And I think that there's a commenter uh, named Lynette on the Daylight Atheism blog who made this comment that really stuck with me. I quoted it in the book, which is that people have gotten so used to whispering around religion that an everyday voice sounds like a shout. I like that. And the kind of dialogue and discourse and debate that we're used to around other topics such as politics or science yeah. or art or medicine or, <laughs> yeah. you know, who had the best dress at the Golden Globes this week <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, people accept a very vigorous level of debate and discourse in our society in general, but religion gets to be the special case. Religion gets protected from that, you know, from that kind of criticism and it's – I sometimes say that religion is a house of cards inside a fortress. You know, the idea itself is really flimsy. The idea itself is really, really weak. And But it's protected by this cr incredible fortress. And when you try to criticize religion, what you see is that a lot of the defense that it gets, a lot of the defense that believers give it, it's not really defenses – of the idea itself. It's defenses of why we shouldn't even be having this conversation. It's saying we, it, it's, you, have to, you have to convince believers that we can ha even have the debate, that we can ha even have the conversation. Um, and it's hard not to think that that's because they know on some level that the ideas themselves don't hold up. And so they have to protect it from being questioned and from being criticized. And so that's where we get this idea that, that to criticize religion, to treat it like any other idea, to treat it like any other hypothesis about the world, is this horrible, intolerant, bigoted act, um, and that it should just never be discussed. Um, and, you know, people say it's like, oh, it's, it, I sometimes joke that my blog is about you know, I'm talking about all the things that you're not supposed to discuss at the dinner table, you know, religion, politics, and sex. <laughs> and, um, and I think one of the big reasons that people that arguing about religion is considered to be, you know, a, a socially unacceptable is, like we were saying before, there's a way to settle the argument. You know, if you're arguing about 
science, for instance, you can settle the argument. You can do the experiments and you can do the studies and say, oh, well, this hypothesis is correct and this one is wrong. Uh, but there's no way to settle arguments about religion because it's a completely unfalsifiable, completely untestable hypothesis. And it, I, I say that it's a hypothesis, but in a way that's almost glorifying it too much because uh, a hypothesis should be testable and it really isn't. But many religions do make claims. They do make testable claims. You know, if you're a young earth creationist, you're making the claim that the earth was created 6,000 years ago and that's a testable claim. You know, if you believe in faith healing, that's a testable claim. And if, you know, you should be able to test that your prayers, you know, cure your cancer or whatever. And, but because the ultimate arbiter is this invisible, inaudible being in the sky and the ultimate judgment is after everybody's dead, um, it's not ultimately verifiable. It's, and so you can't settle the discussions. You can't settle the disputes. And so therefore they get really ugly because there's no saying, oh yeah, you were right. I was wrong. Um, and, and it's such a weak hypothesis. It's such a weak claim that it has to protect itself from ever being seriously questioned or challenged, like we would question or challenge any other kind of idea. In your book, uh, there's this, you know, like you have the, the 99 things that piss off the godless. And doing this podcast with Tom for a, a while now, we've been doing it for over a year, we, go, we cover a lot of atheist news items. And most of the time, I feel like I'm desensitized to the horrors that happen because of religion. Um, but I got to tell you, I was, you know, I was up till a certain point, I, I, I kind of was just nodding along with you like, OK, yeah, I guess I knew that. I guess I knew that. But the one fact that really just sort of turned my stomach and something that I guess hadn't even occurred to me is number 42. And I'm going to quote your book. You say, I'm angry that in Salt Lake City, Utah, 40% of homeless teenagers are gay, most of the kids who have been kicked out of their homes by their Mormon families. Uh, that is just a stomach-turningly awful. It is. It is. I agree. And that's it, it, it's funny the different things that get to different people, uh, the different horror stories that get to different people. Obviously, that's a very personal thing. But that was something that really upset me, too. And part of it is just... Who first of all, who kicks their teenager out of the no house? Kidding. Who does that? No kidding. You know, who says you know this is like my beloved offspring? You know the product of my loins. It's like I spent years loving this child and raising them and and nurturing them, and because they have a kind of sex that I don't approve of, I'm going to throw them out of the house. I'm going to make them homeless. Homelessness is horrible for anybody, and it's especially horrible for a teenager. For for a you know and. And the idea of doing that, so so that's inc incredibly upsetting to me. And then you look at the fact that the Mormon Church is they they revere the family. They make a huge deal about how important family is. You know, the, the, they're they're big on the whole family values thing. Yeah. And the idea, you know, it's 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 they practically fetishize it. <laughs> and the idea that you would fetishize this ideal of the family. And yet when it comes down to the question of do you love your children, do you support your children, even if they're doing something you don't approve of, do you not, for fuck's sake, throw them out of your house to live on the street? What kind of family values is that? It's just so appalling. It's so hypocritical. Um, and um, it, it's funny. That leads me into a little bit of something that you know people will ask, you know, why are you atheists so angry? And they will often say, well, anger is such a bad thing. Anger is just, you know, it's like anger makes you 
you know, it clouds your judgment and it, you know, gives you ulcers and it, you know, gives you high blood pressure. And why would you even want to be angry? And, you know, what's so good about anger? And I think, how can you hear these stories and not be angry? You know, to me, the opposite of anger, when you hear a story like this, isn't, you know, peace or serenity. To me, the opposite of anger, when you hear a story like this, is complacency. And I don't ever want to be complacent when horror stories like this are happening. You know, I want to be angry because I want to be motivated to do something about it. And that's, I think, the thing that I hope that people who read the book get most out of it is I am now motivated to do something about it. And that can be almost anything. I think that, you know, atheist activism can take a lot of different forms. It can take the form of, you know, writing angry blog posts and writing angry books and, you know, picketing and, you know, doing, but it can also take, you know, forms that are more community building. You know, I think that if you read this book and you're really motivated to do something about religion and to try to get, you know, to persuade every single person in the earth to not be religious. And what you're motivated to do is join your local atheist community and uh, organize the potluck. You know, if what you're motivated to do is to vote, you know, to, uh, to get politically active and to uh, support candidates who support separation of church and state, you know, if what you're motivated to do is to just come out as an atheist and just tell people, I don't believe in God, I think that that is all awesome. I want people to take whatever action they're motivated to take. Um, and that's what I want, you know, I want to get people angry, you know, not so that they'll be, you know, violent or whatever. Obviously, I'm very much opposed to violence. It's like, you know, that's one one of the reasons I wrote the book is that there's so much violence committed in the name of religion. Um, so, but I want people to take whatever action they're inspired to take. And I think that this is a big movement. I think that it has potential to be a much bigger movement than it is now. And, uh, and we have, there's jobs for everybody. <laughs> and there's a lot of different things that need to be done. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important about activism is that people need to do whatever kind of activism they're inspired to do, because that's what they'll be good at. And it's what they will uh, stick with. Uh, you know, it's it's I want people to do what the kind of activism they are inspired to do and will enjoy. You talk about in, in your book, you have uh, you have two scenarios that are sort of in your utopian vision of of the world with with religion in it or at one point without it. One one of them specifically is no religion at all. You say it would be great if there was no religion at all. But you say you would settle for a world where religion at least co- all religions at least coexisted and they played nice in the public sphere and didn't try to insert themselves in the book you make a claim that that is actually less likely than no religion at all why is that i do think that and you know i could be persuaded out of that but it you know but i do think that that's the case and it keeps coming back to this idea that we've been talking about which is that because religion has no reality check because is an unfalsifiable proposition. You know, it makes some, many religions do make falsifiable claims, yeah. but then they ultimately move the mm-hmm. goalposts and the core religious belief, the belief in God and the supernatural, it's an unfalsifiable right. proposition. And because of that, disputes about it actually get more aggressive and they actually get, people get more deeply entrenched in it and they are more likely to very ferociously defend their beliefs 
Uh, Daniel Dennett talks about this in his book, Breaking the Spell. It was something that really crystallized a lot of ideas for me. Um, it was a wonderful book generally, and this particular idea really stuck with me, which is he points out that there are actual psychological studies showing this, that when people have a belief that they don't have good evidence for, they actually hold on to it more fervently and more stubbornly than they do a belief that they have because when they have good evidence. You know, it's the, the analogy that I make in the book is, you know, if people come over the hill from the tribe over the hill and they tell you the sky is orange, well, you don't have to get into a big fight with them about it because you can clearly see they're wrong. No, look, sky is blue. And you might even have a discussion about it or a debate about it and, and settle the, the question can be settled. But when people from the tribe over the hill come over to your tribe and they say that God is completely different from what you say God is, they, they say that God's name is Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet, or they say that God's name is Zeus and he throws thunderbolts or whatever it is that they're saying, there's no way to settle that question. And so I, you know, paradoxically, because there's no way of settling it, if you're attached to that belief, then you're going to get more deeply entrenched in it because you have to settle that cognitive dissonance that you're having over the fact that, gee, I believe this thing, somebody's questioning it, and I don't have any real good reason to believe what I believe. So paradoxically, if people are going to hang on to the belief, they actually defend it more hotly. And so I think that while I would certainly settle and be entirely happy with a world where I know, not entirely happy. I'll get to that in a second. You know, I would be fine with a world where people had religious beliefs, but they weren't violent about it, and they weren't oppressing each other about it, and they weren't throwing their kids out of the house because of it, and they weren't trying to enshrine it into law and so on. I would settle for that. But I think that's less likely. I think that religion in, has inherently in it this tendency to... to uh, to get very deeply entrenched and to get very hostile to criticism. Um, and so that's why I think that it's, it's actually more likely that we will persuade the world out of religion entirely than that will persuade the world to be religious, but to, to play nice. Um, and, you know, I will say, you know, I was going to say I'd be perfectly happy with a world where people had religious beliefs that they didn't force down each other's throats. I would not in fact be entirely happy with that because the bottom line is, you know, we can talk about all the different reasons why religion is bad. The bottom line is it's wrong. It isn't true. That's kind of the whole <laughs> thing for me about religion is there's no reason to think, there's no good reason to think it's true. It's almost certainly false. And therefore, it's a bad idea just on the face of it. And it leads people to make bad decisions. You know, people who believe in the power of prayer you know, to cure their illness, they don't go to see doctors. People who, you know, believe that, you know, that they're going to go to heaven after they die, they don't necessarily live this life to its fullest. You know, I used to believe in reincarnation and I let go of, a, I passed on a lot of opportunities in my life and I would always say to myself, oh, I'll do that in the next life. And now that I don't believe that I'm going to be reincarnated, now that I think this life is it, I make sure to really grab opportunities that come yeah. along. And that's, yeah. that's the, you know, and, and so bad ideas cause bad actions. What is it that the data processors say? Gar garbage in, garbage out. If you have a bad data, 
it's going to lead you to make bad decisions. And so even if religion is tolerant and ecumenical and groovy and everybody's holding hands and singing Kumbaya, it's still wrong. So, uh, so you, you have a book and you have a, you have a blog. Could you tell our listeners where to find those things? They wanted to buy them or read your blog. Sure. Absolutely. I would love to do that. Um, my blog is called Greta Christina's blog and it's at freethoughtblogs.com slash Greta. My book is called why are you atheists? So angry 99 things that piss off the godless. Uh, right now it is available in ebook formats. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Nook. You can get it on Smashwords, and Smashwords has it in pretty much every format imaginable. So if you have some, if you have a format you want, you can get it on Smashwords. Um, uh, the physical print book has just come out, uh, and it's available at the Richard Dawkins Foundation website. Uh, they have a bookstore, and it's available through there. You can buy it directly from the publisher, which is Pitchstone Publishing. Uh, it will be sold through Amazon, but the physical print book is not at Amazon yet. It won't be at Amazon till the fall. Uh, so in the fall, it'll be available. The, the physical print book will be available at Amazon and bookstores and the usual uh, places. Uh, and it's coming out as an audio book in August. Oh, wonderful. We'll, we'll post all that stuff uh, on our on our website for this episode. So if you're interested and uh, and you wanna you wanna get uh, Greta's book, all you have to do is go to our our website for this episode, and you can click on the link and buy it. Tom and I, I I know I highly endorse this book. I think I think this book really is a lot of of how Tom and I both think, and uh, and I really enjoyed reading it. Tom, I'm sure you did too. It was a great read. I was it was it was a tremendous uh, eight dollars. I would I would buy it again. <laughs> Eight out of ten. Buy it again. I Greta, enjoyed it very much. Great book. Greta, it was it was wonderful to have you on, and we're so happy that you were able to, to come on and talk to us about your book today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. So we got a Google Voice from Desiree. Desiree's vo- Google Voice was cut off, and it was like, four minutes long. So I'm actually going to condense it down a little bit uh, so that you guys can get the main idea from it. I don't want to play the entire thing because like I say, it's cut off. So I'm going to edit it down. Just remember if you're calling us and want to leave us a Google voice, one minute, minute and a half, that's kind of the sweet spot for the show. If you leave like really excessively long ones, we really can't play the whole thing. But anyway, here's Desiree's. Desiree, thanks for calling. Hey, this is Desiree from Simi Valley. Um, I'm calling regarding the last episode from uh, when you guys were talking about Chick-fil-A. Um, I guess I'm a black LGBT woman, and I have any difficulty with this situation. It's like at one, uh, one instance, I know the Boston mayor, legally, I don't think he can ban Chick-fil-A from uh, setting up a business. Uh, at the same time, I'm kind of glad that Chick-fil-A is going through all this. It's like all shit Christianity and those zealots have put me and people like me through. It's like for once, it kind of feels nice that we get to punch the bully back, that we get to play dirty pool with them. That's all the technique they've been doing. It's like, you know, I know we're supposed to be the better people and, and don't stoop to their level, but it's so hard. It's really hard to do that and see the the progress. It's so slow and them calling me and people like me abominations that I should be in concentration camps or that the government should execute me. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. You know what? 
sorry, but you know, Chick-fil-A and all those other organizations like that, NOM and the Family Institute and all those places, it's, you know what, I'm sorry, I have no sympathy for them. We got another voicemail I'm not going to play for you, uh, but it was a really uh, interesting uh, idea. I don't know how we're going to be able to implement it if we can even, Tom, but they're talking about actually donating to the uh, Doctors Without Borders, but instead using their cell phone. Yeah, it's a great idea if we can figure out how to do it. um, Cool. Um, As long as it's not a ridiculous amount of work to set up and administrate. Um, Great idea. Thank you for the suggestion. Um, if we if if we mention that it's out and it's available, that's because it was easy. Yeah, and if it's and, not, then it wasn't easy. Right, but it was a great idea, and we appreciate it. Thank you. So we got uh, an email from Sonny, and Sonny says, uh, "Have we heard about the Jesus Take the Wheel Day?" And um, basically, it's this. Uh, it's it's I I don't believe it's true, but supposedly on March thirty first, twenty thirteen, um, Christians are supposed to take their hands off the steering wheel for a full. Five minutes on the highway. I do not believe that that's a real thing. I don't think that that's actually going to happen. That's so not going to personally happen. Personally, won't really pay much attention to that date. No, no, no one's going to do that. That's and you know what is that? That's like a faith test, right? That's the whole, you know. But it's so far in the future that even if it were real, which I don't think it is, from looking at the Facebook page, even if it were real, it's like yeah, I'll agree to do that a year from now. Hey, you know, you, you're getting a fucking alert on your phone while you're driving. Oh, I forgot. Like, oh. Oh. Well, it's really easy to take my uh, my hands off the wheel now. I'll just text while I'm driving. <laughs> I take my hands off the wheel to eat a fucking Dairy Queen Blizzard every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> we got an email from uh, from Brian, and we want to make sure we read it because uh, we want to make sure we didn't mischaracterize his thoughts on homosexuals last time. So Brian said, I wanted to write to clarify my feelings on homosexuality, since I think you, sp- you spoke about my comment in the latest podcast. I respect you guys and your views, which is why I want to be a bit more clear than I was in my post. I don't look at homosexuals and think about them having sex. I think the act is disgusting, as in I would not enjoy it. I think eating liver is disgusting as well, but I don't look at people who like it with the thought that liver is disgusting. In my comment, I was putting forth that thinking the act of homosexuality is disgusting doesn't make me a bigot, but acting on that would. That I'm aware of. I've never treated a person differently because of their sexual orientation, but I also only know one openly gay man. Thanks again for the great podcast. If we misrepresented you in any way, we apologize. It certainly was not our intention. We were just using your uh, email as a springboard to discuss other ideas. So it certainly was not my intention, and I, I thought I was careful about that, but I, if, if I misinterpreted or mischaracterized your comment, I, I certainly apologize. So we want to thank Greta Christina for coming on our show. She was great to have. It's hap- I'm, I'm really happy, Tom, that we actually got a female voice on the show. We've been talking for a long time, uh, trying to be as feminist as, as two guys can be, uh, and I'm just really happy that we were able to actually have a female voice on the show. If you want to get Greta's book, it's called Why Are You Atheists So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless. It's available uh, richarddawkins.net. It's also available on Amazon Kindle. Uh, it's going to be coming out in the fall uh, as a physical hard copy. You can buy it uh, from Amazon then. Also, you can visit Greta Christina's blog uh, 
Greta Christina's blog is uh, conveniently named Greta Christina's blog. You can find it at freethoughtblogs.com slash Greta. And, uh, and it was great to have her on. It really was. Thank you again, Greta, for being on the show. So, Tom, uh, this wraps up another week. Now, I want to mention to people this. We're recording this on a Wednesday. We won't release it probably till Friday, maybe Friday morning. Uh, so you're getting the show a little early. However, I'm going on vacation. Tom's going on vacation for next to the following week. So we are not going to record until Monday the 13th, which means the show probably won't go up until the afternoon, maybe the evening of the 14th. Now, if I have time in the evening to mix it, I might do it on the 13th evening, but I doubt it. So if you're going to be listening, make sure you pay attention and don't post on our Facebook page, hey, guys, where's the fucking show on Sunday? Because we're not (laughs) going to get it up until Tuesday. Because Tom and I aren't even going to check the Facebook until Tuesday. So, uh, so just be patient. We'll get it up as soon as we can. Um, but we're, you know, both of us are going to be on vacation, so we're going to have our mind on other things for a week. And real quick on that note, I am bringing my laptop on vacation so I can keep sending stories uh, via Facebook and Twitter and Google+. So continue to check that out because I'm going to try to do something, if not every day, every other day, just to keep those things active while we're on vacation. So. Well, with that, we're going to leave you with the Skeptic's Creed, and we'll catch you guys in a little over a week. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, Cancer Cures, Detox, Reflex, Foot Massage, Death and Towers, Tarot Cars, Psychic Healing, Crystal Balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, Aliens, Churches, Mosques and Synagogues, Temples, Dragons, Giant Worms, Atlantis, Dolphins, Truthers, Birthers, Witches, Wizards, Vaccine Nuts, Shaman Healers, Evangelists, Conspiracy, Doublespeak, Stigmata, Nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and views expressed in this show are that of the hosts only. Our poorly formed and expressed notions do not represent those of our wives, employers, friends, families, or of the local dairy council.